Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. In Numbers 21, we began to see Israel listening to the Lord on their journey towards the promised land. And there was certainly a turning point in the narrative that we discussed in our last podcast. Throughout the next three chapters, we're going to look at Balaam. The stories of Balaam have truly intrigued people for centuries. Who was Balaam? Was he a prophet? Was he a diviner? Was he a sorcerer? And what's up with Balaam's donkey? We have a lot to discuss over the next three podcasts. Well, let's start out by looking at Numbers chapter 22, verse 1 together. Here's what it says. Then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan, opposite Jericho. See, in Numbers 21, we discussed that Israel journeyed through, through um, the land east of the Jordan River. They traveled north through the land of Moab into the land of the Amorites and into the land of Bashan. The kings of those two regions, Sihon and Og, we, we discussed at the very end of our podcast last time, they attacked Israel during their journey, and God gave Israel victory both times. So picture Israel east of the Jordan River, right across from Jericho. They're back down into the land of Moab. They are so close to the promised land. They can look over into the promised land. Look at verses 3 and 4. That's what it says. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time. So Balak is this king of Moab. Now, by the way, it's more of a territory than, a, than like an organized nation at this time. But, but Balak is their leader. And, and he just witnessed Israel defeat the kingdoms of Sihon and the kingdom of Og. See, the gods of those two nations could not defeat the God of Israel. And, and Balak looks at it and he, and he says, what chance do I have? What chance do my people of Moab have to stand against the God of Israel? And the text says that he was in great fear and filled with dread because of Israel. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Verses 5 and 6. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they covered the, the surface of the land and they are living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come, curse this people for me since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I might be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So Balak I, sends mess, uh, messengers to Balaam. Now, who's Balaam? Balaam is a man that lived about 420 miles away in Mesopotamia, along the Euphrates River. A one-way trip would have taken about 25 days. 
And we read about this correspondence between Balak and Balaam over the course of the next several verses and know that this must have taken at least four months because he sends messengers and they come back and he sends more messengers and they come back and it's at least 25 days on each trip. Balaam must have had an incredible reputation if Balak was willing to wait four months on him when Israel was at his front doorstep in Moab. So we we need to pause just a moment because we need to understand something that if you don't get it, you won't understand a lot of this story. See, there was a difference at this time between a prophet, a diviner, and a sorcerer. Prophets were well known at this time in history. Prophecy in the ancient Near East is documented in records of many other people groups, not just Israel. It's all kinds of people in this, in this region. Prophets were simply truth tellers that spoke the words that God had given them. So they had a, a direct communication with God. So what's the difference between a diviner and a sorcerer? Well, first of all, know that sorcery is absolutely condemned and forbidden by God. The punishment of sorcery is death. If you want references, Exodus 22, 18, Leviticus 19, 26, Leviticus 20, 27, and Deuteronomy 18, 10 all say that sorcery has the punishment of death. God was serious about that. But what's sorcery? The idea of sorcery was, was using some sort of medium to change the course of events set forth by God. You can see why God might not be such a big fan of sorcery. That's different from divination. See, divination was attempting to discern God's will using some sort of medium. Let me tell you this. God is not against people knowing his will. He's not. He gave the high priest um, tools to use to discern his will. Urim and Thummim, and they carried that on their ephod. That's Exodus 28. They carried it with them all the time, and it was a way for them to discern what God's will was at any moment. Yet we, we read many, many, many scriptures about believers casting lots. Casting lots is a form of divination where if there's a medium that you're saying, God, we want to know your will. God never condemns it. We even see it in the New Testament. See, God is not necessarily against that but he's against sorcery. Now, why is that important to our story? Balak thought Balaam was a sorcerer. He expected Balaam to come to Moab and absolutely change God's plan. He knew Israel would be too much to handle based on what he had witnessed Israel do to his neighboring nations, right? If Balaam is a sorcerer, maybe he could do away with Israel. He could change God's will. Even if God had blessed them, if, if Balaam's a sorcerer, he has a way to change God's will. Unfortunately for Balak, Balaam was not a sorcerer. Balaam was a diviner, and he actually becomes a prophet in this story as God directly talks to him. So picture these men. This is their, you have Balak in Moab. You have Balaam in Mesopotamia, 420 miles away. Balak sends messengers on the 420-mile journey to make the offer to Balaam. 
What was Balaam's response to these men? Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. He said to them, spend the night here and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Scholars have had just a variety of opinions on Balaam uh, over the years. Some criticize Balaam for even entertaining the idea of accepting Balak's offer in this case. And others applaud him for consulting God on the matter. But I tell you that to say, you consult all kinds of different things. You're going to see different beliefs on this. But let me just say, either way, Balaam was about to encounter God on a whole new level. Far and away, a bigger level than he's ever encountered God previously. Again, got to get yourself into the context of this story. See, as an ancient prophet of Mesopotamia, Balaam was to have contact with many gods. I mean, Mesopotamia is, is polytheistic. Theistic. There's all kinds of gods there. Before accepting an offer like this, if you're a prophet, we see this in other ancient records. Ancient records show that prophet would seek out a word from the god of the enemy. In this case, Balaam would seek out a word from Yahweh, the God of Israel. And what's clear from this story is that Balaam will become an instrument that God chooses to use in the story of Israel. So how does God respond when Balaam is seeking a word from him? Let's, let's look at a few verses, 9, 9 through 12. Here's what it says. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Behold, there's a people who have come out of Egypt. They cover the surface of the land. Now come curse them for me, because I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. I love how God likes to ask questions, right? <laughs> who are these men with you, Balaam? Do you think God knew the answer to that question? Of course he did. It's a lot like Genesis 3. You remember the story in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. They hide in the garden. God asked the question, where are you? Do you think he didn't know where they were? Do you think they could escape where he could look? No, he knew. Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel. God asks, where is Abel your brother? Understand, God knew the answers to all of these questions. He's God. But these rhetorical questions are an effective way to cut to the heart of the person that God's interacting with. Let me give you an example. You know, as a parent, we can ask our kids questions like, have you cleaned your room? Now we know the answer. But the question cuts to our kid's heart. See, they have to respond. And it becomes a teaching method. I think this is exactly what God is doing in verse 9. He's forcing Balaam to think about the character of the people asking him to go against Israel. And he does it by asking a simple question. Who are these men with you? We see that Balaam proceeds to tell God what he already knows about Balak and his, his invitation to curse him. I mean, God knew all that. But God's reply to Balaam was not to go with the people to Moab and not to curse Israel because they were blessed. Do you remember 
God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. God, God tells Abraham that he would bless those who bless Israel. He would curse those who curse Israel. So Balaam rightfully declines the invitation of Balak. And the messengers take that 420-mile journey back to Moab to give Balak the news. Balak's not deterred. Um, he sends more people to Balaam. I mean, he's not going down without a fight, right? But this time, he sends officials of higher ranking as his messengers. There are leaders of Moab that could bestow honor to Balaam. Look at verses 15 to 17 with me. Then Balak again sent leaders, more numerous and more distinguished than the former. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me, for I will indeed honor you richly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come then, curse this people for me. Balaam is being offered a lot of money in this offer. And, you know, this is often how temptation works. First, it might be pretty easy to turn down. But with time, temptation can get stronger and stronger as our enemy throws more into the pot. How does Balaam respond? Well, look at verses 18 and 19. That's what it says. Balaam replied to, his, to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Now please you also stay here tonight, and I will send out what else the Lord will speak to me. This sounds so spiritual. Balaam essentially says, there's not enough money in this world for him to do something against God's direction. He even says that the Lord is his God in verse 18. Listen, he is a Mesopotamian prophet that speaks to many, many gods. This is how prophets speak about the gods. They refer to them in a personal way. But let me ask you, didn't God already give Balaam an answer as to what his preferred will is concerning the Israelites? I mean, when the first messengers came, didn't God already tell Balaam not to go, not to curse the people because they're blessed? Am I making that up or did we not just talk about that? See, I think Balaam, Balaam wanted to accept this offer. I mean, who wouldn't? Money talks. And these leaders were offering him a lot of money. There's no doubt. And Balaam becomes like a little kid who didn't get the answer he wanted the first time he asked his dad, please, daddy, let me go with them. Please let me go with them. And, and the first time his daddy said no, well, he wasn't satisfied with God's initial response. So but Balaam was hoping that God would change his mind this time. Maybe just like kids, maybe if I approach it a little differently, if I ask it a different way, if I wait a few minutes and ask the same question again, maybe they'll cave. I think that's exactly what's going on here. Look at verses 20 and 21. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So Balaam arose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the leaders of Moab. Here's the thing. God allows Balaam to go with the leaders, but he would only be allowed to speak the word 
that he would give him. Again, I, th- I think Balaam is ecstatic at being able to go with Balak. This is a huge payday for him. I imagine Balaam waking up before sunrise, eager to go on this journey to Moab. See, but here's the thing. Balaam has no idea what God has in store for him. Numbers 11, we discussed this idea that, that God gives us the desires of our hearts. That was the title of the, the title of the, the, the lesson is what am I craving? And it's, it's in this case, in this case, Balaam desired to go with these leaders. And God eventually gave him the desires of his heart. And we'll soon find out, God would use Balaam in his story in a way that Balaam could never see coming. We have to see that Balaam said the right things. I can't do anything against the command of my God, but his desires were contrary to God's will. See, what is in our hearts really does matter. What are you craving? What are you craving? Are you craving money? Is it something that you think about all the time is how to make more money? Are you craving earthly things? Are you craving power? Are you craving a a better position? Who knows? God, God may allow you to have the desires of your heart. You may get all those things. My prayer is that my heart's desire will be Him and Him alone. My prayer is that my heart's desire will be to stay in God's will and not attempt to write His story. See, He's the author. I'm not. I can't be like Balaam and say the right things and then not have actions that show the world that I want to be in His will. Balaam loads up on a donkey. By the way, that word for donkey there is a female donkey. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. But God was angry because he was going. The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now, why would God be angry with Balaam going? Didn't God give him the green light? Understand, God's preferred will was for Balaam to stay in Mesopotamia. He said that from the very beginning. That's what he told him. But Balaam's heart was bent on the money, doing what he wanted to do. So God gave Balaam the desire of his heart. But as soon when Balaam went with these men, God was angry because Balaam was selfishly following his heart. You know, we see in the next several verses, verses 22 to 27, we read about an angel of the Lord showing up with a sword drawn in his hand, and, and Balaam couldn't see this angel, but his female donkey could. And what's interesting is that this angel shows up on three separate occasions, and the path gets smaller and smaller each time. First, the angel's on the road, forces the donkey to go into a field. Then the angel is in a, a walled vineyard, and the angel is, is forced to go around that in, the, in that in that narrow spot. Lastly, the angel is in this narrow place where there's no way 
to pass around the angel, and the donkey just lays down in the road. On all three occasions, Balaam, it says, strikes his donkey. Now make sure you don't miss this image. See, a female donkey in Balaam's day was known to be the epitome of stupidity and stubbornness. Yet his female donkey was more spiritually perceptive than this prophet. This well-known prophet that was supposedly one of the most spiritually perceptive people in all the earth was not as perceptive as the dumbest creature on the earth. When all this was going on and Balaam's on his donkey and his donkey's starting to do weird things, what do you think Balaam was thinking? See, if he were like us, he was probably thinking, oh my goodness, the devil's really after me today. He's really attacking me today. See, God was putting up roadblocks and making uh, Balaam's path difficult to try to correct Balaam. And I'm guessing he thought it was simply a ploy of the enemy. See, as believers, we have to be sensitive of the roadblocks that God is putting in our way and not blame them on an enemy. We need to have spiritual sensitivity and change our direction when God shows us something is not his will. Understand Balaam didn't get it. And I love the fact that God uses Balaam's donkey to get his attention. Look, look with me at verses 28 to 30. Verses 28 to 30. Here's what it says. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Imagine the scene. That is odd. Then Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a mockery of me, if there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, no. The Lord opened the mouth of Balaam's donkey and she spoke. Just imagine that scene. I think many times when we read the Bible, we just read right past these things. I'm telling you, part of how God teaches in his word, he wants you to jump into his word and be part of the story and envision these things happening. Balaam must have been floored when his donkey opened her mouth to speak. But then she rebukes him. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Listen, it is no coincidence that, about why God uses a donkey to speak his words at this point in the story. Do you remember what happened two podcasts ago? Moses was instructed to speak to the rock, and instead he struck the rock. In this story, Balaam struck his donkey, and God decides to use his donkey to speak his words. It's as if God says, I'm finished trying to use you people to speak my words. I'm going to use this donkey in your place. It reminds me of a text in the New Testament. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem during the last week of his life. And, and people were putting their coats on the road for him. And, and they were shouting in excitement. There were some Pharisees in the crowd. And they said, Jesus, make these people be quiet. And Jesus said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Luke 19, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 40. God wants people who are not afraid to speak his words. 
Is his preference to use a donkey? Is his preference to use stones? Absolutely not. He wants to use us. Are you willing to be used by him? At the end of the day, his message will be shared. The question is, what vessel will he be using? He wants to use you, and he wants to use me. But we have to be willing. It says in verse 32 that the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel standing there. Immediately, he bowed down. Look at verses 33 and 34. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. Balaam knew God was intervening for a reason. You you can tell that he was convicted, right? He he even offers to turn around and go back. But my opinion is the wise thing to do in this case would have been for him simply to say, you know what? I'm going back to Mesopotamia. I understand the angel says to go with these men and keep going to Moab, but God's will from the beginning of the story was for Balaam not to go to Moab. God wanted to use this opportunity to make sure Balaam knew that he expected Balaam to speak only the words that he would give him when he reached Moab. You know, there's a text in the New Testament that reveals the heart of Balaam, by the way. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Here's what it says. They have left a straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So Balaam is known as a prophet. And he even says that he would not speak a word that wasn't from the Lord, but, but understand that his heart was bent towards wickedness. So much so, Peter uses him as an illustration as he talked about false teachers in 2 Peter 2. See, they can look apart, but their heart can be bent towards wickedness, just like Balaam. He looked apart. He said the right things. He said, yes, I'm not going to say a word unless the Lord is my God. And I'm going to say it. He said the right things, but his heart was bent towards wickedness. Today, it is not about looking the part of a Christian. God wants the real deal. He wants people that live out what they say they believe. See, find that in you. Balaam finally reaches Moab, and the text says that Balak came out to meet Balaam at the edge of Moab, and he definitely was eager to have Balaam curse Israel. But he wasn't happy that Balaam turned down his initial offer. Look at how Balaam responds in verse 38. So Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come now to you. Am I able to speak anything at all? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I will speak. This is the fourth time in the chapter that Balaam says that he could only speak what God reveals. You know, really at this point, I I truly believe that he finally understands that he is truly an instrument of God. And Balaam thinks that he's going to be able to manipulate the situation and curse Israel and be a sorcerer. 
He's not a sorcerer. Balaam knows the truth. He is a prophet speaking God's words. We're going to get into the story on our next podcast, but at the very end of the chapter, Balak and Balaam offer sacrifices, and they go to a high place of Baal, and they could see some of the Israelites. We'll get into what happens next in our next podcast. Are you willing to be an instrument that God uses? Are you willing to be a truth teller to our world that needs truth to be told to them? Being a prophet's not easy. Being a prophet is usually having to say very hard messages and messages people don't want to hear. But God's looking for people to speak truth. And not only speak truth, He's looking for people to have actions that match what they say they believe. Does He find that in you? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I look forward to our next time together. If there's anything you need, any questions or any thoughts on, on these teachings, feel free to reach out to me. Um, Ministries at gmail.com is my email, or you can reach me on Twitter at Ministries. Um, and I'm looking forward to our next time together. 